You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind. I am Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Sunday evening as Tennessee beats Missouri by a score of 66 to 24. He is Eric Kane, and um, Eric Kane is still trying to warm up from his afternoon at uh, Lindsey Nelson Stadium with the Tennessee baseball team. Of course, the basketball team losing today in an ugly fashion, not playing well, 78 to 66. But we're going to talk a lot of football in this uh, hour here on the Rocky Top Rewind, so you can line up your questions and comments and We'll get to those uh, as we can, as many of those as we can, and hope to be joined by um, VFL and morning show host Eric at 104.5 The Zone in Nashville, Ramon Foster, who knows a thing or two about uh, football and and certainly uh, offensive line play, but he follows this Tennessee team closely. So he's going to join us here um, in about 15 or 20 minutes as well. Austin Price will join us on the back end, talk a little recruiting. And um, certainly we'll talk about Tennessee's big win over Missouri, 66-24. What does that mean for the college football playoff? Where do things stand? Eric, Tennessee got some help, not as much as they wanted. Everybody was looking for TCU to lose, but they got help with the Oregon loss. That helps them in the college football playoff. But first and foremost, it's about Tennessee, and Tennessee took care of business yesterday. Yeah, Tennessee left no doubt. And, uh, you know, we, we spoke on it post-game mini-pod. Uh, you guys spoke on it, the two-minute drill. I wrote about it after the game. Um you know, in an era of football where offense is king and, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, I think anytime you're offense, you're scoring points. It's an exciting brand of football. That all matters, right? And, you know, Tennessee left absolutely no doubt yesterday. They were scoring till the very end. And you had Joe Milton in there. He was he was in there for the last two touchdown drives, and he's a backup. So, uh, you know, backups practice too, right? So let him sling it a little bit, as Joey Halsey would say. But, you know, Tennessee broke a, a program record for uh, total yards in a game, 724. And thought Hendon Hooker, of course, was phenomenal. He had four total touchdowns. Thought a senior in Princeton fan played really well. He had two receiving touchdowns. Ironically, uh, you know, this was his first game with a receiving touchdown. He had run for four. He had thrown for one. But he finally caught one but two uh, in this game. And, of course, Jalen Hott as well. That offense looked to be real in sync. Ran the football well. I thought Dylan Sampson added a spark there in the second half, Brent. Uh, but in a game that's dominated by offense, Tennessee did not slow up yesterday. Looked really, really good. And this was all against a pretty solid Missouri defense on paper, number 13 in the country. So I think that, again, you know, speaks a lot to how good this Tennessee team is. Well, there's no doubt. Now, they had played some some paper dolls a little bit when you look at some of the offenses Missouri had faced in, in the SEC. I mean, you know, stopping Kentucky's offense doesn't seem like it's as big of a deal as a lot of people thought it was going to be early in the year. Of course, they mm-hmm. played Vanderbilt, but they had handled South Carolina particularly well. Uh, they obviously played Georgia extremely well at home. So they had done some good things and can cause some problems. And uh, Tennessee took advantage. And um, <clears throat> this offense, when they get single safety high looks, Eric, it's it, it feels like it's it's kind of taking candy from a baby sometimes if they can get into that look. And Missouri plays that look by nature um, a lot because they want to stop the run and commit to stopping the run. 
And when, when Tennessee gets single safety high, it, it really opens up whatever they want to do. And um, Tennessee was was able to run it against the Missouri front. They had not given up a lot of yards on the ground this year. But again, when you've got that single safety look, I, I think you can do so many things over the middle of the football field, over the top. Um, and, and Tennessee got hot and just kept rolling yesterday and, and took advantage of those defensive looks. Yeah, yeah, they certainly did. And, of course, Tennessee's so good, you know, off the motion. I think it was Brian Kelly. And, hey, LSU's having a great season. They're going to go to the SEC championship. They're probably going to lose to Georgia. But, you know, he, he's done a good job in LSU for his first year. But going into the Tennessee game, I think it was in one of his press conferences, he said, yeah, Tennessee doesn't motion off a lot. Tennessee motions all the time, and, and they explode off that motion, and, and they create those single high looks. Uh, one of the one of my favorite plays of the game, um, it was in the third quarter. Tennessee scored. It was the 68 or 58-yard touchdown uh, to Jalen Hyatt, where you had Brew McCoy. You had a tackle over and Gerald Mincy on the right side. Brew McCoy lined up on the line of scrimmage. You're hiding Jalen Hyatt behind the guard. You motion Dylan Sampson from wide receiver across to take that defensive back with him. And then it's just off to the races on a wheel ride with, with Jalen Hyatt. Again, we we come on the Rocky Top Rewind every week. We say, what new wrinkle did we see yesterday? That was a wrinkle. Saw it a couple different times. Hyatt and McCoy in the backfield. This offensive staff with Golish and Heupel are putting their guys in position to make plays. And, and Jalen Hyatt and those guys continue to go out there and make plays. Well, and, and they something else they did yesterday we hadn't seen a whole lot. Uh, we saw a little bit at LSU, but there was a lot of McCoy and Hyatt on the same side of the field. Mm -hmm. uh, which they haven't done. A lot of times those guys are on the opposite side, but with Cedric Tillman out, they moved Brew McCoy over and, and played him and, and Hyatt on the same side of the, the, the ball um, or the same side of the field and, and took advantage of some of those things that way. You, you know, the more you dive into this offense and, and the more you look at this offense, there's the play you're talking about there, just beautifully beautifully yeah. designed, beautifully executed, perfect timing on the call. Uh, but, but the more you look at this offense, the more you realize, and I had this in my 10 things this afternoon, what the tight end means to this offense. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the tight end doesn't have to catch 40 balls. Now, Princeton fans having a nice, is having a nice year, but you have to have a tight end who's a multifaceted player, right? He can play on the line of scrimmage block. He can motion. Uh, you can flip, flip him out wide. You can do a lot of different things with him. Um, this, 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 program, this offense is not predicated on four and five wide receiver sets. They're not going to be. You talked about that on the mini podcast after the game. They've got to have a tight end who can play. And part of the growth of the offense from year one to year two this year, in my opinion, is, is what you're seeing uh, with Princeton fan and what they can do, you know, with the tight end. Um, and, and that changes things. And so um, I think that's an underrated part of this offensive scheme is the importance of the tight end and what they like to do. And again, fans played really well. It's helped this offense really take another step from year one to year two. Yeah, he certainly has. And, you know, Alex Gullish spoke on that the, really the first time we met with him back when this staff you know, was hired and then, you know, going through spring ball and, and fall camp of last year, saying how they need to have three tight ends ready to go into play. And they'd like to have four. And, you know, you kind of just think that's kind of coach talk. And I don't remember, I mean, I remember noticing it some of last year and everything, but you're really seeing again, the importance of that tight end position because, you know, Tennessee, they go, they run tempo. you got to have a tight end on the football field because they want to go bunch sets. They want to use them as an H-back. They, they want to do all these different things, and you don't want to sub. And so that's why you don't see four wide receiver sets. And having a Jacob Warren and a Princeton fan, the versatility there has just been critical. And that's why I think Tennessee is going to be hard, you know, looking for a guy in the portal or trying to – of course, you got Ethan Davis in this recruiting class. 
it's so very important for the success of this offense. So yeah, they, they need a mature guy. I mean, they, yeah. they needed a mature, experienced guy, not a freshman. Um, you want to bring Ethan Davis along. Don't get me wrong, and, and you want him to play early. He's going to need to play. But he's not going to probably physically be ready to go the way that you want him and need him to be able to go. So well, it's coming off an injury. I, yeah, I think when you look at the, the transfer portal, what are the needs out there for Tennessee offensively? I, I think right now the biggest need is the tight end position. You know, when they look at a running back, sure, offensive tackle, sure. But when you talk about what you have to have, I think you have to have a tight end uh, in, in this transfer portal. Even if Jacob Warren comes back, you need to have another body in there. Um, somebody else who can come in there and, and help and uh, be a factor because the tight end is it, – it's much more significant in this offense than what I realized. Even when Gola said that, he was talking about yeah. three tight ends. I'm like, I'm not playing three tight ends. They spread it out and they throw it all over the place. But the reality is the tight end is kind of the kind of the, the hinge on, on being able to do a lot of the things that they want to do. So that, that's going to be uh, really important for Tennessee moving forward. And I, I like what Princeton fans done for this team – this year he hasn't been perfect he's had a couple moments where I didn't think he blocked particularly well he's mm -hmm. jumped outside sometimes he's had some mental lapses but boy he's given them a, a lift that I did not anticipate out of him in terms of production in this offense yeah no doubt couldn't agree more and maybe you don't have to find a tight end that runs for touchdowns but you know if you do that that's that's a plus uh yeah send us your questions over here in the chat guys Kenny wants to know hey I, I think Amari went out Amari Thomas went out with the game uh, holding his shoulder uh, is he good? He he came back into the football game, so it didn't look like it was too severe. Uh, obviously, monitor that, but he did come back in the football game. Dan says, I bet Samson plays more this week. Yeah, Dan, I, th I think you're right. And that's something, Brent, that we spoke on in in, in the postgame mini pod. You know, you're still going to see Jabari Small. It's still going to see Jalen Wright. Don't think Dylan Samson is going to get 15 touches a game. But he adds something that we haven't seen from the other two guys do an awful lot. And, and I know Jabari did this yesterday, but he makes guys miss at the second, third layer. And he's got that that speed to where you can outrun some defensive backs. And I thought he was really good yesterday. I'm glad he got in the end zone there at the end because he deserved to. Uh, nearly had 100 yards on the ground. Yeah, and the thing I thought he did, of course, fresh legs help, but his vision was good. I thought he pressed the line of scrimmage well. I didn't think he danced a lot laterally, um, you know, in the backfield looking for something. I mean, he, he trusted that something was going to be there and – uh, it was a couple of times, and, and he took full, you know, full advantage of it. And this is a guy that this Tennessee staff has been high on from the get-go. The ankles, the ankle injury set him back a little bit, and then getting, you know, getting Hendon Hooker plastered at Baton Rouge, quite frankly, just made made coaches hesitant about putting him in the game. And, and I get that. I mean, you know, your franchise is is Hendon Hooker, and I mean, he nearly got knocked out of the game on that hit. And so. Um, I, I think Dylan has continued to work. I liked his answer yesterday about, you know, I've been frustrated with not playing. And he said, you know, it's part of it. It's part of the growth process. And I, I think one of the things that's lost on this team right now because of where they are and all the talk about the playoff and, and the fact that they've only lost one game and can they get in, will they be one of the four teams and all the seniors have done and they deserve all the credit. One thing that's kind of quietly happened, in my opinion, Eric, the back half of this season you're seeing some younger guys really start to make some strides. And I don't just mean freshmen. Dylan Sampson was an example of that yesterday. And, and, and you know, Dan or whoever it was is, is exactly right. He, he's going to play more these last two weeks as he should. Brandon Turnage is a guy who's, who's made marked improvement the last three or four weeks. Jawan Mitchell's getting better. On special teams, Jordan Thomas is getting better. He's showing up more and more on special teams every week. James Pierce made a play or two. I mean, 
one of the one of the things where you you talk about was a successful year is how much better is your team at the end of the year versus the start of the year. Yeah, Tennessee's been good all the way through, but you're seeing some individual parts getting better, Eric. And I think that's a sign of good coaching. That's a sign of your culture and your buy-in. And I think some of those guys are being rewarded and should continue to be rewarded. I, I liked what in, upon the rewatch, I liked what Wesley Walker did at safety when he was in for Jalen McCullough. Was he perfect? No, I'm not saying he was perfect, but I like some of the things that he did there. I would like to see Tennessee continue to incorporate him into safety position and continue to get some some work for him there. Let him get continued comfortable, you know, more comfortable there. I, I like the way Wesley Walker plays. I, I think he's got a nose for the football. And I think he can play safety in this defense effectively. So hopefully he'll continue to get some snaps at that position moving forward. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, they might not be young guys according to their uh, what grade they're in. I mean, Brandon Turner has been in college for a little bit. But Danico Slaughter has been in college for a little bit. But in terms of their playing experience, neither one of those guys have played an awful lot, especially Danico Slaughter. And so, yeah, were they perfect? No, I mean, Turner's dropped two picks yesterday, but – and he was in position to make two picks. Yes. Yeah. He's in position. And and look, we spent, and Josh Heupel's talked about this all season long, tighter coverage, need tighter coverage. When Tim Banks plays as aggressively as he's going to play at the line of scrimmage, ball's going to come out fast. Your secondary has to compensate for it. The corner shouldn't be the leading tackler on the team because if he is, that means he's letting the ball get caught in front of him and he's just tackling the guy down. That's not what should happen. Turnage mm-hmm. is not doing that right now. He is playing the football. Does he get beat every now and then? Yeah, he's going to. But in this day and age of college football, Eric, is there really a shutdown corner? Does that does that moniker really even exist anymore? I mean, you got the kid at Georgia, Ringo, right? He's a good player. Yeah, uh, he gives up a play every now and then. That's part of it. But 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 he's aggressive in playing out there. I like the way Turnage plays because he's trying to make a play on the ball. And I've not seen enough guys make plays on the ball early in the year in this secondary. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that that play he jumped the other day looked really, really good. We're going to get Ramon Foster in here in just about 90 seconds. But before we do that, Brent, I want to get J.B. Collins kind of on this note. Um, he asked a question. If you elaborate a little bit more on why uh, Juwan Mitchell, you think he's been giving so much credit lately. He says he believes you, but obviously, what is Juwan Mitchell doing to play better now than earlier in the season any point we saw him last year? Well, he didn't play last year, obviously, because of the injury. He missed some time early. I think he's got 22 tackles the last three games. Um, I, I would like to see him in the backfield a little bit more, but but I like the way he's playing the run. Um, to me, he's playing faster, Eric. I, I think that he's reacting to things better. Um, and, and I mentioned this in my review piece when, when I gave him some credit there. I would throw the whole linebacker group into that. I think they've been more consistent. Now, they're not a great zone drop team in coverage. No. I don't think that's who they're going to be. I don't think that's Jeremy Banks's game. I don't think that's Mitchell's game. I don't think that's Aaron Beasley's game. But I think those three guys have played the run well. Um, I think that's part of the reason why Tennessee's been better against the run. Obviously, the defensive front's done some things. Mitchell seems to read run plays pretty well and seems to be doing that much better in this system the last three or four weeks than he has at any point in time. He was highly productive at Texas in terms of volume of tackles. So you knew that he's a guy who could make a, you know make a lot of tackles. I thought he played slow early this year. I, I didn't think he felt real comfortable. Seems like he's reading his keys and reading things faster and is playing faster, which is why I've noted him because I think his production is is much better. I mean, 22 tackles at the linebacker position in, what, three games? That's, that's pretty good. Um, I, I think he's I think he's been a guy who's continued to get better uh, and play better. I think he'll play well on Saturday against South Carolina with some of the things that they do. 
Um, I just like the way I like the way he's playing right now, and the fact that he's coming back next year, it appears, is, is positive for Tennessee because now you can put him and Beasley in there, and, and you're going to miss Jeremy Banks, but you've got two guys with a ton of experience at the linebacker position. You shouldn't have a ton, a big, huge drop off there right now, and it allows you to continue to develop Elijah Herring without having to throw him into the fire right out of the gate. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the other two because I think all three of those guys are improved. Aaron Beasley, anywhere you look on third down, he's stepping up in the hole to stop a run up the middle. I noticed that a couple of times on a rewatch. But right now, let's get to the guy that did this in the NFL for 11 years for the Pittsburgh Steelers and played a little football for the University of Tennessee. You hear him on the airwaves at 104.5 The Zone in Nashville every weekday morning from 6 to 10 Central Time. Ramon, what's up, man? It's Ramon whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a minute, Ramon. He did not give you the proper and just introduction. All of those things were well. He did not cap it off with, ladies and gentlemen, he is the pride of Ripley, Tennessee, Ramon Foster. <laughs> there we go. See, that that's the guy that's followed me from high school all the way throughout my career. You get it. See, again. <laughs> it just means he, I'm old, Ramon. It just no, and, old. And that's what I was going to say. E. Kane still is a little wet behind the ears, you know, when it comes to this whole lifestyle thing, man. But, yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. <laughs> hey, Ramon, what, what did uh, – I mean, any time an offense breaks a program record for 724 yeah. yards in a football game, scores 38 unanswered points – I mean, they got to do it, and I mean, they they they, they got to get good blocking in front of them. Obviously, that offensive line. What did you like from that group yesterday, and what have you liked from that group this year that's been very productive for Hendon Hooker? Man, I think my reaction was the same as Tyler Barron's. In the end of it, it was like, dang, you you know, like that was insane to hear that number come out. I think there's a sense of pride that goes in that. There's a sense of just. There's there's two games left in the regular season, but there's a sense of completion just in general to be like, man, we are something. You know, it's one thing to go to a big university and, and actually just play. But then you're in a position to where you're playing and you're playing well. You're a top five team with the opportunity at some point we hope to be in the college football playoffs, man. That group, uh, I tweeted out you know, Saturday after the game, just like uh, more than anything. This senior class, you know, they are cemented, every single one of them, when it comes down to what they've done. You know, of course, there's underclassmen that have played their part and made plays for this team. But just in general, the entirety of those guys sticking around, the entirety of just dealing with coaches, culture, uh, losing. And to be in this position right now, man, from Hendon all the way down to the walk-on guys that just stuck around, this is a very – just special team to the University of Tennessee. And, and like I said, just the pride of uh, not just playing at a big school, but winning the way they are, man, can't be overstated enough. I, even as a VFL, a guy graduated from Tennessee, I'm sitting back like I'm almost a little jealous of what they got going on because it's just so cool at every level of what they have going on, man. You dream of these opportunities like this to be on the national platform and just crush it the way they are. You know, Ramon, getting a little bit into the weeds with football here, I think that the idea on Josh Heupel's offense is wide splits and you throw it all around mm-hmm. and go about this. But but really, the catalyst in all this thing for Tennessee is the ability to run the football. They had 264 yards yesterday. Wow. Josh Heupel has only won two games since he's been at Tennessee where they rushed for less than 150 yards. It was Pittsburgh this year. And he had 145 against Kentucky a year ago in a win. 
We'll throw a couple more at you. In games where they rush for 200 yards or more, that's 14 out of 22, they're averaging 46 points a game. When they rush for less than 150, they're averaging 26 points a game. Why is the run game so important to the success of an offense that everybody sees as they're going to throw it over the top of your head for 60 yards? The Man, that's a great question. And the run game is, is I guess you call it playing chess. If you control the ground game, that means the big guys up front. I always kind of look at it like this. Most people, if you have a good team, it usually starts in the trenches, meaning the offensive line. They're the biggest group. They usually have the biggest numbers. They got the loudest voice, and they're the biggest bodies, right? You follow the, that group right there, and I think that's the same thing that goes for the D-line. So when you have a team like the Vols right now that have the ability to just pound the ball against you and not just only pound the ball against you, just move the ball down the field efficiently and score. Get to the tight red zone and punch the ball in. It's demoralizing. You have teams that cannot defend it, and then you still have the ability to go through the air. It creates balance. It creates chaos, frustration for a bunch of teams when you have those types of offenses that can just run the ball efficiently as they do. You say what you want to about it, but at the pace that this team plays with defenders, I'll tell people all the time, as an offense, offensive player, you have a better pace whenever you're doing no huddle the way the Vols are doing right now. When I was in the NFL, when we went to no huddle, everybody was just like strapping up their chin straps and tightening up their wristbands because you knew that if you get going, it was going to be a long day for the defense because they have to uh, chase the ball. If they don't chase after the ball, then that's probably more yardage or touchdowns when it comes down to the pace of this team. So watching the team, honestly – uh, the way Missouri and other teams drop their head when the way Tennessee controls the ball and run the ball on them, there's nothing that's not a better feeling um, when it comes down to completing that task of just pounding the ball in no huddle and especially on the ground. That was one thing I appreciated about this team is checking this box score and just saying to myself, wow, you know, even the rushing yards you put up on Alabama, that was insane to think of. Nobody does that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, it, it, again, it all starts up front with the offensive line, and they've been really, really phenomenal this year, albeit for a game here or there. It, speaking of that, on that note, I, I, I want to ask you this because I have you on here. I know Tennessee just won yesterday, but Tennessee does have two Nick road games. You were rolling right there, Ramon. <laughs> I was catching smoke. stingers, man. That <laughs> neck collar you had going. Had to, had to strengthen up this puny neck of mine, man. That's I heard. I heard only dudes can wear those. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. When they saw me coming, it was a lot of fear in their eyes, and of course, the neck collar definitely helped out. <laughs> hey, Tennessee's going to finish the regular season on the road with two road games, and I don't know if that environment will be like Sanford Stadium, which was phenomenal. But yeah. you will have to deal with some crowd noise. As an offensive lineman, how do you deal with crowd noise whenever you can't hear your quarterback in the cadence and you're over here directing traffic and all that? How do you work mm -hmm. through that? Uh, first thing first, we just talked about it, the run game. Controlling the run, you know, because an incomplete pass gets the crowd behind them. You know, like you that's, that's the DB start waving their hands and stuff like that. You control the crowd by running the ball. That's one thing I expect to see as they go to South Carolina. I was, I'll be honest about it. I, I was just a little nervous about that, uh, that stadium simply because it's a night game. We understand what the SEC environment is. You look at the upsets that have happened this year. It's been really good teams on the road at a different stadium. You know, when it comes down to what it means. And I think everybody understands that having played at South Carolina in the night game, 
it can get loud. It can get rowdy. The good thing about it is we have a team that's capable of controlling the crowd through the run, uh, through through the air and on the ground too. Uh, but as far as the technicalities of it is early in the week, you got to kind of tell yourself, screw if they know the snap count. Okay, they'll know it. Of course, if Hendon claps, we're good. If there's one clap, okay, we're ready to go. If it's two, just listen to his hands when it comes down to snapping the ball. And hopefully by the end of the third quarter, you get to a point to where it's, it's never an issue. That's always the goal when going into hostile environments. Closer to the middle end of the third quarter, we need to be going our own cadence. And it starts with controlling the line of scrimmage with those guys up front. You know, it's, and I think, too, Ramon, I mean, having the unfortunate experience that they had in, in Athens, Georgia, which, listen, no offense to you fine people in Pittsburgh, they're rowdy when the Steelers are going. They're not real rowdy when the Panthers are there. You were there at that game. That was not a hostile environment. No. When you get when you get an 11 a.m. kick in Baton Rouge, th- those people, they weren't even ready for the game. Mm-hmm. And that game was over early because of the way Tennessee played. So in Athens, they had – they had not experienced that at all. Having yeah. experienced it, how much better do you think this group will be mentally to handle it this time, having just experienced it two weeks ago and it not go well, right? I, yeah, 100%. That was immediately what I thought. When You know, I think they said the South Carolina game was going to be a night game about a week or so ago, or maybe yeah. right at the Georgia game. And um, when I realized that, I was just saying to myself, because South Carolina have some very serious fanatics. Like, they are serious about their ball there. I know they hadn't had the season that they want. But to me, I I said this. I said, okay, the loss is there. You got it out of the way. We're good now. Other than the fact that we outside the top four, great lesson learned. Like, legitimately. The the, the pre-snap stuff. This time around, okay. Well, you hear it's loud. And you know how kids are when we're in college. Okay, I get it. Whatever. This time around, hey, it's a straight business. This is exactly what we need. And when you're on the roll like that and the way the momentum rolls, that's what uh, Georgia ran with. They got us behind the chains, made us punt the ball, and then they have a, a instant uh, chunk play down the field with their quarterback. That's what happens in SEC environments. This time around, you take day one of practice all the way up to Friday and say, snap count, listening, listening. Because it can go wrong really fast, at least in 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 a swing of just points. I, I think we're good enough to beat South Carolina for sure, but it's a matter of not having those pre penalty, pre snap penalties, and just boneheaded plays because they got a lot they're fighting for too, and I'm sure they got embarrassed this past weekend. Uh, this will be a tough crowd this uh, at South Carolina. Ramon, where have you seen Cooper Mays and Javante Spragans, two guys that played? Last year, two guys back this year, still relatively young. Where have you seen them improve in their games from last year to this year? Poise. Uh, I definitely say that. Poise and toughness. And I know you're probably saying, well, we know Mays is always tough. Well, we know Spragans is. No, there's a difference in just when to be tough, too. Having a bad play and jumping right back at the line of scrimmage and having a good one right after that. That's what I mean when I say that. Uh, Seeing them get beat on one play. And then the next play, it doesn't happen again. You know, like this past game, I think they had a couple miscues against that Missouri defense. That Missouri defense is pretty good. They clean it up and they go back. That's what I mean by that, just that maturity, that growth. Those reps mean a whole lot to you. And that's why it's always important to have guys um, behind those types of dudes too. Because it's a matter of you never know if Jeremiah Crawford has to go in for Mincy. 
You see, like that's that's what good teams do. They build that. And th- I'm looking forward to those two guys honestly just leading the way for what the standard is in that offensive line room because they understand what it meant to play bad, have a bad room, and just get plowed through week in and week out. I'm looking forward to them two guys just being the dudes to set the standard moving forward. Ramon, when did you, at the college level, when did you get comfortable? I mean, we see Cooper got thrown into the fire pretty early. He's obviously gotten more physical. I think Spragans is a guy who was always physical, but it's about being able to move a little bit better Mm -hmm. and, and, and being a better athlete. When you think back to your career, when did you get comfortable? And and what's that feel like when you're when you're comfortable versus just trying to hang on and survive early on? What, what what's what what are those feelings like? Man, you know what's interesting? I had this conversation earlier with a VFL baseball player, Julio Bourbon. You remember him? Yeah, absolutely. I had and I asked him a simple question like, when did you get comfortable? You know, and he was like, oh, brother. And we were talking because he's doing some stuff with uh, with my son. And he was like, it wasn't until after my freshman year. And I was like, me too. And, and because you, you have an opportunity to understand what the weight room is, what a college schedule is, what freedom is, and what it, it means to actually compete at, you know, a higher level without going outside of yourself. Um, whenever you're, okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to punch somebody. Well, what does that mean? Every situation, I'm not trying to push my hands through his chest. Some situations become a finesse. Uh, After my freshman year, I ended up getting most improved simply because I had an opportunity to kind of digest the playbook, understand what the level of play was, and figuring out finishing. And from that point on, it's continually stacking just years, honestly, because once you get past the summer, there's an opportunity to where you just, okay, well, now I know this a little bit more, and I know how to pace myself. Year one to year two was a huge jump. And I'd say going into that 07 season um, where we ended up going to the SEC championship, I ended up winning the most improved award again simply because I I didn't start that 2006 season. And I, you know, took that with a – I put a chip on my shoulder when it came down to to the preparation of it. And that right there was another step where it slowed down again. And you guys know, like I know, we ended up having a really good season that year to where Ainge had a really good year. I think we only ended up giving up like four sacks or something like that on the season with Cutcliffe as the OC. Um, It was about year two and again in year three. All right, Ramon. How's this going to play out, man? I mean, there's two games left in the regular season. There's a whole (laughs) lot of football elsewhere we got to pay attention to. But for Tennessee – Tennessee going to make the playoffs? And what about Hendon Hooker? What needs to happen for Hendon Hooker to – I mean, he was sitting at the driver's seat of the Heisman Trophy two mm-hmm. weeks ago, still very much in it, but what needs to happen for that to become an actual reality? Be the reason we win, you know? Um, I think that's what you're seeing Stroud do a little bit and just other guys who are in that position and being in this conversation. Be the reason why we win. Like, it's cool having a team win – and, um, you know, just playing your role. But I feel like if, if Hypel understands this, and I think he does because he was in this situation before too, then you find ways to put the ball in his hand, whether you've schemed up something for all, for the entirety of the year. And um, you you create plays for him. And I, I'll say this too, he's also just being uh, smart and honest with his legs a little bit, sliding, mm-hmm. getting out of bounds, uh, being aware of where defenders are. And, and, of course, I know a lot of people hate it at the end of the Missouri game. Points. It's going to matter. It, it it truly does. I don't feel sorry for anybody that plays us, and we got to drop 60-plus points on you. We've lived that life. Um, if I always tell my kids this, too. If you don't like it, stop it. 
you know, and that's the same way I feel about teams that kind of see us a little bit until that pendulum swings. And I hope it don't swing for a long time. So be it. Uh, and I think also getting into the uh, the top four will for sure do it. I think we win at South Carolina and at Vandy also. But I, I definitely want to see more poise out of this bunch offensively um, with how how crazy I think the South Carolina group is going to be. If we do have to play Georgia at one and four, um, then it's probably if we got to play them in Atlanta, that can be considered a home game for them also. So this all moving forward is preparation for if we get into the college football playoffs. And uh, if not, heck, I, I mean, having a big New Year's Day bowl would be uh, amazing in itself. Yeah, we're, I think we're coming with sport a little bit because, you know, back in the summer, you and I had many conversations. It's like, all right, well, if it's nine wins, you know, that that, that that's great. Now it's just like, well, you lost to Georgia. What are you doing? You know, so, yeah. hey, but that's a credit to having a good football team. So, Ramon, as always, man, appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us here on the uh, Rocky Top Rewind. And uh, we'll be listening to you every uh, day this morning or every day this week on 104.5 The Zone. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ramon. Appreciate you, bud. Good to I see you, my that. man. All right, that was Ramon Foster, played at Tennessee and, of course, played about 11 seasons for uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. Hey, Brent Hubbs and myself, Eric Hamm, we're going to have more uh, coming up here on the Rocky Top Rewind, more on Tennessee's win against Missouri, what this could mean for the playoff uh, ranking announcement coming up on Tuesday, and we'll talk uh, all that and recruiting with Austin Price coming up at 845. Appreciate you guys for watching and listening. Go ahead and get your questions in as well. We'll have more from the Rocky Top Rewind here in just a second. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane. That man is Brent Hubbs discussing Tennessee's 66-24 to win over Missouri. Tennessee's got two more road games to finish off the regular season, and then we'll see where the uh, chips fall in terms of the college football playoffs. Awesome price coming up at 845. Hey, want to make this quick announcement real quick. Appreciate you guys for watching. Hit the like button. Subscribe to us on the VolQuest YouTube channel. The $1 for one year. We've had this since we moved over this deal, this promotion um since we moved over on september 1st on three and it's going to expire tomorrow at the end of tomorrow so you have a little over 24 hours left to sign up if you haven't already one dollar for one year a subscription 
to VolQuest. We got tons of football, basketball, baseball, recruiting, anything you want, Brent Hubs. It's the best deal you'll find anywhere else. But hey, it's it's going to expire in a little over 24 hours. Yeah, we told everybody it wouldn't last forever. And a lot of people have taken advantage of it. And we encourage any Tennessee fan out there who has not taken advantage of it now, you won't get a better deal than, than what you've got uh, in front of you here. So if you've already taken advantage of it, text your buddy, call a friend, tell them, say, hey, guys, this is going away. Uh, but be sure to let them know so that everybody can, can take full advantage of it because there's, there's so much to talk about. There's a lot of football left to be played. There's a lot of things for Tennessee. You know, you got transfer portal stuff coming up. You got signing day coming up. We're going to hit Austin up with some recruiting stuff here in, in just a few minutes. But you also got the college football playoff race, Tennessee with the opportunity of 11 and one season. Basketball team didn't play well today, but that's a basketball team that I think is going to get better and, and better and, and be a factor, obviously, um, throughout the, the winter and, and, you know, January and February. It's about what you do at the end of the, the year in that sport anyway. So lots of things to talk about. Great community, great people to visit with on, on the General's Quarters, great topics of conversation. So you don't want to miss out on this opportunity. Bro, we talked a lot about offense from Tennessee's win over Missouri Defense gave up 24 points for the first time this year, really struggled with a mobile quarterback. And, and that's something that we knew Brady Cook was going to do because he had five rushing touchdowns. He was third on the team in rushing. I think he was second on the team in rushing attempts so far this season. You knew that was a part of his game, uh, but it really got Tennessee a little bit. I thought gap integrity was a little bit poor on the defensive line. I think Tennessee's linebackers at times overran some plays. And then I, I thought, you know, Drinkwood schemed up a couple of times with the quarterback draw that really just got Tennessee in a bind. That's the first time this week we've, or the first time this year we've seen Tennessee struggle with that. But even though they did, just 24 points allowed Missouri only 66 yards after that third quarter touchdown drive on the opening possession, the, the, the remainder of the game. That, that was it. They really put the clamps down and for seven, three and outs in this football game as well. Thought it was a little hot, a little cold, finished strong. Uh, what did you see from Tennessee's defense yesterday? Well, I mean, w- when they had that run in the in the third quarter where they scored two touchdowns in 66 seconds to take a turn a four-point lead into an 18-point lead, Missouri had to change the way they played at that point. They had to throw it, and that's not who they are. Uh, Tennessee missed out on an opportunity to kind of stretch that lead out uh, late in the first half, um, you know, with a couple of drops behind it. That could have changed things at, going into the locker room and put Missouri in a tough situation. Once Tennessee got control and, and Missouri had to throw it a lot, that wasn't going to be what they were about. Um, you know, Tennessee just didn't do – I didn't think they did a very good job recognizing some things yesterday. And, and I, I give Eli Drinkwitz some some credit. I thought he ske- did scheme up some stuff as well. I don't think Tennessee handled what the, the eye candy particularly well with some of the motion stuff. Seemed like they were a little late reacting to some of that. Their, their gap integrity or their rush lanes got a little compromised as well. I thought Cook did a nice job with some of his patience in the quarterback run, you know, kind of waiting for something to open up and hit it. Uh, but but I didn't think Tennessee played with great angles at times. I, I thought they were at best okay, if you will, defensively against an offense that's not very good. What's interesting, you know, Cook ends up with 106 yards and 91 of those came on scoring drives. So what does mm-hmm. that tell you? When, when they stopped him or when he couldn't get his legs going, Missouri couldn't do anything offensively, really. Uh, three scoring drives, 91 yards on those three scoring drives, uh, including that 40-yarder that set up the field goal. So, uh, you know, Tennessee, they didn't handle that well. Um, wasn't their best, and, and they've got to go and, and clean some things up. Uh, I don't know that the last two weeks have been the defensive line's best two weeks of play, 
Um, I think there's some stuff that they need to clean up and, and get back going there. Um, you know, and I didn't think in the secondary, they play with great angles. The, 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 the biggest mind puzzler in the secondary for me was that fourth down touchdown pass that they threw. Yeah. Um, I get slaughter. Couldn't find the ball cause he was in a trail position, but, but that ball was a punt safety has got to come find the football there and, and knock that football down. That, that should have been to me with the way that ball was thrown, that should have been a pretty easy play to make. Tennessee didn't identify that, didn't play the ball very well in the air. And, and there were times I just thought, thought they were late reacting to some of the stuff that Missouri did. I think it was Turnage, actually, and he was playing to have help over the inside. And, yeah, right there, just the, the, a horrible, horrible angle from from uh, McCullough. Just ran over there, guns blazing a little bit, out of control, and overran the play. And, and, and again, that was on fourth and one. So, a really unfortunate there. You mentioned the defensive line. I agree with you. There were two plays in a row where Byron Young left contain and, and, and Cook was able to get out of the pocket and go, go for some yards. One guy that did step up, and he did it from the interior, you know, whenever they're going some of those pass rushing situations. And I know he plays the five technique, but he was in over the guard a couple of times. You know, Tyler Barron, who's been very inconsistent, hadn't seen or heard much of him in the last couple of weeks. He had a really good game. He had four tackles for loss. He had a sack. And, I mean, again, if you can just get some consistent play out of Tyler Barron, maybe not four TFLs a game, but, you know, that type of play, that type of energy, I think they go a long way with, you know, Roman Harrison and B.Y. and Joshua Joseph, Thomas, and the rest of that defensive line group. His quickness really, really bothered Missouri's guards. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he really could split the A-gap with, with his quickness. He, he, had their t- he had their snap count time pretty good, um, and, and I thought he played really well. You know, you would like more consistency out of him for sure. Uh, but but that was a, a real positive step yesterday for what he did. So we'll see what he can come back with this week. Tyler's got all the tools. Tyler's got all the tools to be a really good player inside or outside. Um, he's just got to be a little more consistent in, in what he does um, e- each and every snap. Um, and uh, yesterday he was hot. He played well. And uh, Tennessee's obviously hoping that that can continue. I thought he was Tennessee's best defensive lineman yesterday. And, and, and I thought that on rewatch, Eric, not just because of the four TFLs, I thought even when he didn't make a TFL, I thought he was active in the backfield, forcing guys to belly something out, affecting the way uh, the quarterback had to move in the pocket. I, I just thought he was really active uh, the, the entire game, as, aside from just the TF, the four TFLs as well. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Uh, he, he, had a, he had a pretty solid game. Uh, we'll take your questions. Any questions you guys have, you just put them in the chat over here. Uh, Chris wants to know, Brent, is BY staying for next season? Um, I don't believe he is, and I, I don't know if he has any eligibility left. I think he does, but I don't anticipate him staying for next season at all. Uh, I, I would I would be surprised if he was back. If he were back, I, I think the plan and his plan is to go to the NFL. So I, I don't expect him to return. And and listen, that that means Joshua Joseph needs a great offseason, adding weight, continuing to mm-hmm. develop. I thought getting James Pierce on the field yesterday was good. They need to play him some down the stretch here. He had a sack. Um, he needs more weight. Those are two guys who can really change the outlook of your edge next year um, with, with the talent that they have. And, and you want to make sure those guys are are good to go. Obviously, you live in a portal world. There's, I have no reason to believe any of them is leaving or anything like that. It's that crazy season. You never know what happens. But I think both those guys could really help Tennessee – off the edge next year and they've got to find they've got to do a better job of getting edge pressure with four and not not playing games to get edge, to get pressure not everything being a stunt or a twist they need somebody 
to, to do what Missouri's ends did to Tennessee's left tackle yesterday. They, they need somebody who can totally disrupt off the edge that you've got to chip, you've got to help. Tennessee's not gotten enough of that this year. I, I thought they would be a little more productive off the edge with a natural four-man rush than what they've been. Jeff wants to know any chance Banks comes back next season. I would be, again, I'd be very, very surprised. I'm not anticipating that, but here's a good no, one. Zach, he, he, he will not be back. Okay, yeah. Zach chimes in and wants to know, with the way TCU played and the way Tennessee played, any chance Tennessee would leapfrog TCU up to number four in this week in this week's college football playoff rankings? I would be surprised, but you know, we'll see what happens, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. I, I don't think anything TCU did – uh, will knock them down a, a rung. I think winning on the road in Austin, Texas is going to, you know, whatever Tennessee's score is going to be, I think people will in that committee will view that win as a better win than Tennessee blowing out Missouri at home, uh, even though Texas obviously struggling and didn't and didn't play uh, particularly well. Um, I, I don't think TCU moves there. I think the, I think the first four are going to stay the same this week for the first time. I think the story is going to be what does it look like five through seven? Okay, Tennessee is going to remain five. I don't see there's any reason why they move. Does does USC go to six after a blowout win over a terrible Colorado team? You know, does do, do they bump up that high? What what does six look like after that awful loss by Oregon? And again, Dan Lanning, what are you doing on fourth down? deep in your own territory with less than two minutes to play in a tie game and a backup quarterback on the field. Your quarterback's getting taped. He's going to come back in. He's the reason why you're in a tie game because of what he's done. Punt the football and, and play for overtime there. I, I mean, you, you got playoff hopes on the line, and you took you took your team out of the playoff by going for fourth and one deep in your own territory. Washington doesn't even have to make a first down to kick the game winner, Eric. Just a – First-year coach making a horrific, in my opinion, horrific decision at that point in the ballgame. Yeah, we got all some prize coming on. We'll get to him in just one second. If I'm the committee, I'm I'm putting USC at six behind Tennessee uh, because the only way USC or any Pac-12 teams get in is if it's a one-last Pac-12 champion. And then, and Austin said this as well, and then you have to decide, okay, does that resume stack up and look better than a resume from Tennessee? Um, the only way LSU, and we talked about this last Monday night or last Sunday night, the only way LSU is making the playoffs if they were on the table and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, which I don't think is going to happen. So I would take USC, put them right there behind Tennessee at number six. We'll see what happens if that's what they want to do on Tuesday night. Yeah, and, and we'll bring Austin in here. But but I, I think the other thing that, that, that I wonder about as well, where is the narrative on conference champions this week? What kind of talking point is that on Tuesday? Or, or is that the road people are going to go down and start talking about the value of the conference champion? And, and, and a conference champion doesn't, doesn't get left out, which would set up USC in the Pac-12, which I guess could set up somebody in the ACC, but I don't see that happening in the ACC. But, but Austin, do they bring that conversation into play this week? Is that kind of the talking point narrative in week three? Well, I posed this question tonight, you know, Chris Lowe's, you know, with me on the nation and, you know, I mean, like, look, they've all done a good job over the years of letting some of these media come in to kind of mock selection process so they can kind of get a feel for it. But they also get the kind of propaganda, right? I mean, like we all get propaganda from somebody, right? I mean, that's part of the work in the media, to be honest with you. Um, but like, 
you know, he, he posed the whole, you know, one, one loss USC, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or if one loss Oregon conference champs matter, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, what about one loss conference champ, North Carolina? Nope. No, I don't see them getting ahead of Tennessee. What, what's the difference? I mean, one loss, I mean, you go poop on this conference, not poop on that conference. I mean, you know, I, again, I, I think that, you know, they move the goalposts all the time. And I, you said it last week. I think some of it is for theater. Um, and, and I agree with you um, because, you know, it drums up interest. But at the same time, like, you know, what is important one week's not important the next. You know, no one can answer how did, you know, how did TCU's resume get infinitely better beating a below average Texas Tech team, um, you know, in one week? You know, how did it go from your your worst resume than Alabama with a one loss, then all of a sudden Tennessee loses and you're better than them the next week? No one can answer that. Like Chris tried to say, well, you know, they, they're undefeated. Well, they were undefeated the week before. Like, I mean, you know, every week it's going to be um, – you know, a, a different, you know, spin. Tennessee's just got to keep winning. And, you know, you saw part of it take care of itself last night with Dan Lanning's uh, botch of the fourth down call there late. We'll see what else happens. Every one of these teams, USC still going to be UCLA, Notre Dame, and either Utah or Oregon uh, in, in the Pac-12 title game. TCU's got to beat Baylor at Baylor. Uh, Iowa State is still Iowa State. Um, you know, they're not having a good year, but, you know, who's to say that in one given week, you know, they can't coach them up well there. And then potentially Kansas State in the Big 12 title game. So, um, you know, a lot to be left, you know, said as far as this whole thing before it's all said and done. Yeah, here's the thing too, Eric, and and, and everybody wants this to be black and white, right? They, they want – Kind of like my on three sweatshirt. Yeah. You know, they want the rules, right? They, they want the hard and fast rule. The reality, Eric, is you got 13 free thinkers in a room deciding who's ranked where. And there, there's a human element to that, that you can't, you can't predict, right? What a guy, what, what someone on that committee thought two weeks ago, his whole mindset might've changed over the course of two weeks. What, what's important to him now may not have been as important two weeks ago, the more football he watches. That's the part nobody can predict. And that's hard for fans, Eric, because everybody wants the, 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 the cookie cutter, black and white, this is the rule, this is the hard and fast rule. It's not that way because 13 people are in a room talking about four teams, you know, in the top four every Monday or Tuesday for their release on Tuesday night. Yeah, I like to put myself like if I was sitting in a chair and I was a committee member, you know, how would I go about this process? Um, you know, w- when the week one rankings come out, I, th- I think it's very much resume. I mean, resume is important to me. Who deserves to be up there? Because we got five other rankings coming out. Who deserves to be up there right now based on resume and what they've done on the field so far this season? As you go on, in my mind, you when you get there towards the end, it's about saying, okay, we're getting towards crunch time. Who are the best four teams? Because ultimately, that's what the goal is. Not the most four deserving. Who are the best four football teams in America? Because we want to see those teams in the playoffs. And so that mindset shifts a little bit when you go week to week to week. Now, I'm sure there are some members of the committee that think like I do. When is that shift? And so that kind of brings me to this question I was going to ask Austin. From a Tennessee perspective, you're probably sitting at number – I mean, as long as Tennessee continues to win, you're probably sitting at number five and not moving. 
until the loser of Michigan, Ohio State falls back. And that's the last week of the regular season because, you know, if if TCU continues to win, why move them? If if those other teams continue to win, why move them? Tennessee's probably not going anywhere until one of those teams fall out, until maybe the last rankings come out and they say, okay, who are the best four teams? And I think any way you spend it, Tennessee is still one of the best four teams in the country. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, it, Brent said it a minute ago, how they – or maybe it was Eric, I forget. Um, slept since then. Um, not really. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's going to happen That's in that big spot? Is that going to be USC jumping LSU or is that going to be LSU? Because last week it was LSU was seven, so they move up. But they had kind of a lackluster win against an Arkansas team without KJ Jefferson. But what's USC done? They beat a one and nine or one and eight or whatever they are. Colorado team. I mean, they didn't do anything special to, to, to warrant jumping up there. So again, a lot of it is like, well, we better start positioning them and, you know, you know, position USC for the, for the late season push. You know, I mean, I'm with you. I don't see TCU dropping unless they were to lose to, to Baylor uh, this week, um, which means you're right, Eric, that the, the next chance for Tennessee to move into the four would be if when the Michigan Ohio State loser happens, and there's a lot of you know thought process out there that you know if it's Michigan that they're just out. Like if Michigan yeah. loses, they're out. They don't have any real quality wins. Their only quality wins Penn State. That was at home. And Penn State's uh, you know you know just okay. So um, you know USC's that oint flying the ointment. But again, they could lose to UCLA this week. They could lose to Notre Dame next week, or they could lose in the Pac-12 title game to a team they've already lost to in, in Utah or to Oregon. Yeah, I, I think if you're Tennessee and you're looking at this and, and you're a Tennessee fan, I, obviously it's, it's a given. You would like TCU to lose. You, you would like USC to lose. I think when it comes to Ohio State-Michigan, you want Ohio State to win that game because I, I think Ohio State with a loss could still potentially find themselves as a one-loss team in the top four because – I think the narrative on Ohio State all season long has been they're one of the two best teams in the country, right? I mean, it, 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 it's changed in the SEC. Early preseason, everybody said Alabama, Ohio State, top two teams in the country, right? Then Georgia does that against Oregon, and they're like, well, maybe, maybe Georgia losing six guys to the NFL off the defense didn't matter that much. Maybe it's Georgia and Ohio State. It's always been somebody and Ohio State in the top two. So I think if you're Tennessee – you should be fans of the Buckeyes when they play the Wolverines because I think, Austin, you're right. A Michigan loss means they're out. An Ohio State loss, maybe there's still there's some, some thought process. They hang around the top four because there's a notion they are one of the four best teams in the country um, but because of that, that's been the case for them or the, or the thought process for them since the preseason. Yeah, I think if, in my opinion, if – Baylor were to beat TCU, or if just TCU loses, period. Tennessee goes from 70 to 75% chance to like 95% that they're going to make the playoff. And then an Ohio State Mich win over Michigan makes it 100%. I think the balls are a lock at that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, you know, there are certain teams you should be a fan of, certain teams you probably shouldn't be a fan of. Um, you know, right now you should be an Oregon fan, you know, because if Oregon goes and they run the table and win the Pac-12 title and knock USC out, they're, they're gone. And so – um, you know, Tennessee, at the end of the day, put it in Disney terms, hover. They just got to keep swimming, buddy. They just got to keep swimming, got to keep, keep, keep going and, and keep scoring points. Keep having fun. Keep putting up points. The two teams you play can't score with you. 
as long as you keep playing the way you're playing or the way you played in the second half Saturday, it should be two easy wins. And at that point, your whole narrative that you can push is, you know, Tennessee's out since the loss of Georgia, they've outscored their opponents 180 to 60 or whatever. I was going to say, I mean, it, it might not matter at all, but is it a matter of score as many points as you can just to say you exhausted every avenue in terms of just trying to impress the committee? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what happened yesterday? Tennessee had 52, and then they put their backups in. But their backups kept playing the regular offense. So, you know, Joe Milton's throwing, you know, dimes out there to Ramel Keaton, Squirrel White. I mean, it's not like Tennessee kept Hendon Hooker in there putting up yards. They had their backups no. in there putting up yards. Yeah, I mean, listen, what is the story of Tennessee? Okay, if, if, if you say Tennessee's one of the four best teams in the country, why are they one of the four best teams in the country? It's not because of Tim Banks' of defense, right? It's Hendon Hooker, it's the offense, it's all the points they score. So if you want to continue to be in the narrative of being one of the four best teams in the country, do what you do best. Go score a bunch of points because that's what has gotten you into the discussion as one of the top four teams in the country. It's who you played, it's who you beat, and it's how you beat them offensively with what you've done. So to answer your question, Eric, yes, score some points and then score some more points. And the more you can score, the merrier. That's all Tennessee can control right now. Hey, Austin, it's a it, little, little UBU, right? UBU. Right, right, UBU, and don't forget it, boys. UBU. U B U A Khalifa Keith. Uh, we're, we're looking at recruiting right now. He was at Tennessee again this past weekend. Austin, you had a chance to catch up with him earlier today. How how was the weekend for Khalifa Keith? It was great. Um, you know, he, he says Tennessee continues to uh, to show well. Um, you know, I expect him to do something before the calendar turns to December, and I think Tennessee's in an excellent spot there. Um, Tennessee wanted a bigger back in this class. I've said for a while I don't see Will Stallings being that. I expect it to be Khalifa Keith, who's, you know, right about six foot and 230 pounds and a load. Time for the weekly David Hobbs update. Where does Tennessee rank up there this week for the five-star defensive tackle? Well, you know, Georgia impressed upon him last weekend. Uh, it's Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama's out, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Um, I've not heard anything to suggest that Tennessee's Falling behind Georgia, um, but you know, obviously Georgia, you know, did show well last weekend, and they've given them a lot to think about. But uh, Tennessee, you know, had the momentum, and you know, I think that you know, given time away from that visit to Georgia, uh, Tennessee's still very much on his mind. Then the last one I want to ask you about: Tennessee got some good news that they're going to actually host Arian Carter in December. It's what they wanted. Of course, the mid-states athlete linebacker. Um, that, that's good news for Tennessee because uh, he wanted to come here for a game a couple weeks ago. Tennessee wanted to hold it, and they're actually going to get their way. Yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, they kind of played a little bit of game of uh, chicken there. I mean, he could have just said, "No, I'm I'm taking my visits in November, and I'm deciding, and I'm you know either take me at Kentucky or don't get me at all." Tennessee was comfortable if he had said that, um, but they really wanted to get him to campus, and they're really happy that you know he wanted to to get to campus bad enough that he's going to do it their way. They'll get the last visit that weekend, December 3rd. Um, and, and there'll be other players here that weekend, too. I think there'll be a lot of in-state in type players that weekend. Uh, Trevor Duncan, Nathan Robinson, uh, Caleb Herring will OV that weekend. And, uh, you know, they're on the same 7-on-7 seven seven team. So, again, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, um, 
I wouldn't call Tennessee trending or anything like that, but they're obviously in a much better spot now than they were uh, 10 days ago when I would have called them out. Hey, I do want to get a question in here uh, at the very end. Dan asked this earlier, but he's asking you again here, Austin. How many portal guides would you expect Tennessee to add over under six? There's a way, no way of knowing right now, but there's probably going to be a few Tennessee guys from the portal this cycle. I think every, every bit of five. And then, again, it depends on how much you lose and then what else you can get. Um, I think Tennessee adds at least five and – um, you know, we'll see who else leaves this program. There's going to be defections all over college football, but the biggest thing is getting quality, not quantity. One dollar for one year. Hey, I'm not, I'm not lying. I've it ends on not, Monday, baby. Not going to last forever. It ends on Monday through Monday. When Monday's over, so is that deal. Austin, there's not a better deal out there. One dollar for one year. We got plenty over at ballquest.com for a little over 24 hours left. Still just one dollar. Yeah, no doubt. Get in there. Go watch Ball Club Confidential. Exclusive content to VolQuest.com. Eric doesn't watch it, but everybody else does. I don't watch it, but you know Sherry and Craig do. All right, Rocky Top <laughs> Rewind every Sunday night, 8 o'clock, where we look back on Tennessee's game the day prior and set the stage for what's to come this week. Tennessee will be on the road to finish off the regular season at South Carolina and at Vanderbilt. We'll have all the coverage and more for Tennessee football, recruiting, basketball, baseball, whatever you want over on VolQuest.com. Please like this video. Let's get it to 500 likes. And if you're watching and you haven't subscribed already, hit that subscription button for VolQuest on YouTube. You won't miss out. You will enjoy that. I promise you there. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for watching the Rocky Top Rewind with VolQuest.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.